Welcome back, Rage Nation. Definitely not PR friends. Myself, Pete. He needs to stop, like, fucking getting cute with these kicks. John the Mountain Man Stokes. You're not putting them on my models, motherfucker. Chris the non-tech Asian. Put the tape measure up and get some wages. You, yeah, no, you really frustrated me. You walked away and you came back and your scalpel had been thrown across the room. <laughs> I'm just here so I don't get fined. I will will share with you my one rage quit story. Dude, I'm a robot and I don't have a solo across now eight. This is gonna be a really great opportunity for everybody to see how you effed up. Alright, welcome back, Rage Nation. We got another Malifo podcast coming up down the pipe. So we got myself Pete and we got you know Senior Leopard with us again. Maybe. I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely where, still here. That's where you can talk, Chris. I'm trying to leave Woo-hoo! it open for you. <laughs> and then we actually have a special guest on today. So we're actually talking about the control hand and trying to help new players and seasoned players figure out how the hell they should play their control hand. And the person that I know that I think best helps us with that is our friend Jeremy up in uh, North Carolina. So Jeremy, welcome back on the show. Hey, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you were here uh, talking about the Arcanist last time you were on. Yes, yes. Uh, still playing Arcanist mostly. I have uh, looked at the Explorers, but I haven't, you know, tried them out on Vassal or anything, but you know, seeing good things, but still playing some Arcanist. Yeah, I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed uh, your uh, your podcast. Uh, enjoyed it quite a bit, actually. I was playing deep into Arcanists whenever you did that, so it helped me out a lot. Awesome, man. Glad it helped you out a little bit. Yeah, and that, that's kind of the whole purpose of those. So if you haven't done the faction guides that we put out pretty much over the summer, uh, I'd recommend anybody that's interested in those factions to go back and take a look. The only one we haven't done is the Explorers because I feel like people just need to get more games with them before we can speak to them fully. Uh, so, yeah, got Jeremy back on, though, because if you listen to that episode, we actually talked about kind of hand manipulation a little bit because jeremy you said that you played a lot of poker before you came to malifaux right yeah yeah i played poker quite a bit for quite a few years it was uh one of the it was my uh profession if you will for a bit yeah and and chris did you play i think you play like not high stakes poker but you're a poker player too right i am also a poker player i love uh love all different aspects of poker especially some texas hold'em okay Jeremy, what's your uh, chosen mode of poker? What's your favorite uh, style? I mean, I mean, I, I, I mean uh, Texas Hold'em is my bread and butter. It's what I played yeah. the most of. But toward the end, I played a lot of Omaha. Uh, okay. And then some of the other weirder games. <laughs> <laughs> when you're gambling, you're gambling, you know? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, and poker is generally the same game. It's just each version has its own kind of unique uh, mechanics to it, kind of like Malifaux. So we're going to get into looking at our hand that you get when you play Malifaux. So you get six cards, and if you're playing, you know, dirty Arcanists like these two like to play once in a while, you get seven cards because Arcanists have that cute little upgrade that gives all their crap seven card hands, right? That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> so let's kind of start off with we're going to start at the beginning of the game. So we're playing a game of Malifaux. We're drawing our control hand. And most of us are drawing six cards. If you have, you know, Arcane Reservoir, you might have seven. If you're playing Arcanist, you have seven. So when you guys, and I'm going to start with you, Jeremy, get your opening hand, what are some of the things that you're looking for when you're kind of getting your first look at it? Okay, the first thing I'm going to be looking for is, based on your crew, you're going to know 
what cards you're going to need, what suits you're going to need. You know, if like if you're playing sand deep, you're going to need a high tome or be prepared to stone for it or, you know, to do your summon, things like that. So I'm trying, mm -hmm. I'm looking for those key cards that I may need to have certain actions. I'm also going to look at the, the overall bulk of it. Is it heavy in one particular suit or is, you know, or if, um, you know, if the hand's really weak, if it's all low yeah. cards, kind of getting a way to kind of position myself, deciding whether I'm going to stone um, based on how many stones I have, or if I'm going to kind of be able to stay with what I got. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because when you look at what you're playing crew wise, you're going to notice usually that your crew favors one or two suits. So for example, if you have a crew that has a lot of crit strike, you're probably going to want a lot of Rams. If you're playing like Jack Daw, you're going to want those execute triggers for the crows. Uh, summoners usually want what they want masks. Is that what summoners usually want? Yeah. Or obeys or masks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely a good point. Good tip for newer players to be like, okay, I know I want to summon stuff. So I want to see if I got a decent mask in my hand. Uh, so that's definitely one thing I know a lot of people look for. Chris, what about you? What are you looking for in your opening hand? Yeah, my opening hand, I'm looking for, generally there's one, usually it's the master who's got to cast a certain action, who's got to do one action. That's the flavor of their, their you know, that's the what they do. You just need one card that will at least get that one thing off. And then any, any uh, I like to actually have a spread of the suits in my mm -hmm. hand. I don't okay. like to have any one specific, um, but yeah, usually just, uh, I like variety. I like variety and uh, I want at least over most of my cards over eight. See, you guys are more scholarly than I am because you want to know what, when I get my control hand, I'm looking for big flashy cards. I'm looking, hey, for looking for the severes, you know, everybody <laughs> likes the sauce. Yeah, man. <laughs> So, and also I'm kind of excited when I pull that black Joker, cause that means I don't have to worry about it for a few turns. Yeah. So black I, Joker or red Joker are both even, phenomenal. Even that black Joker, if I get it. Yeah. I, sometimes I like to hold on to it, but sometimes I'll, uh, you know, I'll discard it uh, immediately if I can. Um, and just to get another card in my hand, it just depends on how card intensive my crew is. Because mm -hmm. if I'm not typically going to be going through the entire deck, I'm not as scared about the Black Joker. I just want an additional card for in my hand because that might be one more action that gets to happen versus not. Yeah, yeah. it really depends on what turn you're on. It does, Absolutely. too. It does. Yeah. You know, Earlier in the game, I'm more likely to hold on to it. But definitely, turn four, I'm probably not holding on to it at all. I'm just going to go ahead and kick it Get back. Get rid of it. Yeah. yeah. And I would say it also depends on your crew, because there are a few crews and factions out there that aren't as scared of the Black Joker. So I know when I play my Neverborn, I, you know if you're playing Neverborn, you're bringing the upgrade that lets you not care about the Black Joker. Right, or if they're playing hanged, uh, the black joker is oh, like yeah. a red joker. Absolutely. Yeah, I just ran into those uh, this weekend. I was playing against uh, Daw, and yeah, it's actually funny because I was playing a game against Pete, and I drew the black joker whenever I was activating a hanged, and he's like, ah, ah, ah. and I'm like, no, no, <laughs> that's good. good. <laughs> yeah, right. It, it's the same. It's it's still awesome. I was yeah. like, you son of a bitch. Right. <laughs> it's even worse when you flip your red and it and you don't it doesn't count. That's the feel bad. <laughs> yeah, and I think when you get your opening hand, this is I, I think something I see a lot of players, not even just new players, but just some Malifaux players in general. Uh, 
I, I feel like there's a lot of people that don't like to stone for cards. So Jeremy, I wanted to get your thoughts on how often do you find yourself stoning for actual cards? Often, particularly, I mean, I'm an arcanist. I'll run a salt stone miner to make sure I'm getting an extra stone every turn. Yeah. But yeah, I'm typically aggressive with the stones to get additional cards in my hand, unless I have a ton of card draw. Now, like with Sandeep, you're going to be drawing cards a lot anyway, so I'm less likely to need the stone. I can just yeah. have a couple elementals allow me to draw a card so I can just get some card cycling going. Um, but if I don't have any way to generate additional cards, uh, I'm going to stone. Sometimes yeah, I even... Yeah, yeah. If I, sometimes, I, even if I have a great hand, if I have two terrible cards in it, I might stone just to get two improvements or yeah. just to cycle those bad cards out. Because worst case scenario, I'm just throwing some extra weak cards in the discard pile and knowing one more. Yeah, I don't think people realize that even if you stone and you get two crappy cards, that's two crappy cards on the top that now you don't have to deal with. Exactly, exactly. In the, and in the long run, if you're at the very beginning, if you're hitting all of the lower end cards, your deck's going to be hotter throughout yeah. the turn. So you're going to be able to win a lot of those uh, heads up flips. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's important for people to realize that's that, like you said, you got to realize what your crew does because it's very different than when, if I'm playing Zip and Bayou, I know I don't have to stone for cards because I can cheat just, you know, a bullshit action and then just draw a card, you know, for uh, showboating. Whereas if I'm playing Kin, I know I'm probably not getting a ton of card draw unless I bring like Sammy or something. So I know that those cards have to count. So if I want my cards to do stuff, I need to have some important cards in my hand for sure. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, usually every turn except for the first turn, you're going to see me stoning for cards. Yeah, I'd say it's pretty common, Chris. I see you stone usually automatically turn one, two, and sometimes even three, you're still stoning for cards. Yep. You know, sometimes though, if like if the deployment's pretty far apart and I know that... Not much is going to happen. Turn, right. I may not stone, you know what I mean? Uh, it just depends because a lot of times in the early turns, you know, I'm probably going to, you know, maybe move and focus or just preparing for what's going to happen turn two. Um, you know, if you have a really aggressive crew, then, you know, having those cards in your hand is is going to be more important. But if my crew's kind of laying back and I just have a lot of middle of the road actions, I may try to skate by and save that yeah. stone for, you know, maybe getting a forcing a trigger through or something like that. Yeah, I think once again, it's really important just to realize how fast you're going through your control deck, uh, because if you're going to cycle through it, it might not be as important to stone for cards because, you know, you're going to see your whole deck at least once. So I think that's a really good point as well. So we stone for cards or you didn't, depending on kind of how you feel with your crew. So you're going into the turn. So this might be turn one. It might be turn three. So, Jeremy, you actually have a skill that I think is it very it's very important that people do this, but I don't think it's important for them to do it as well as you can. But you actually have a skill where you can count cards, right? Yeah, I can. I, I have. Yeah, I'm keeping up with the entire deck, even though I'm not really thinking about it. Yeah. Um, like I can usually pretty much tell you what the last card is going to be within a you know, few card rate, you know, few card range. I can pretty much tell you what it's going to be. Um, 
but you don't necessarily need to keep up with it that heavily as long as you're kind of keeping up with you know how many severes have gone like if you've noticed that early in the turn you've already burned through five or six severes it may be time to kind of dial back the aggression unless your control hand is still very strong you know because yeah that deck is going to cool off there is only 52 cards this is it you know it's not a blackjack deck where there's seven decks and you're just going to be able to keep hitting those severe eventually it's going to cool off and you need to be prepared for that yeah i think that's a really good way to think about like how aggressive you should be so i think bare minimum so even if you don't want to count cards because i don't do that for sure because i'm just not paying them i don't one i don't care that much and two i don't pay close enough attention um and I, i'll forget things all the time but i think at least you want to keep track of your severes and your lows so like okay how many you know 11 12 13s and how many one twos and threes and then I, I think also most people will keep track of the jokers. You know if you flip the black joker, you know if you flip the red joker, and you want to kind of gauge that with your turn to be like, okay, it's towards the end of the deck. I still haven't seen the black joker. I probably don't want to do something important until I see where that black joker is. Or on the, or, Right, exactly. Or if you're on the other side of that, maybe it's time to, you know, you know, cheat down so that they're on, you know, they're flipping four cards on that yeah. flip instead of just having a straight flip. Let them go ahead and flip, you know, double positive so that, you know, they have a chance to flip that black joker maybe. Oh, you know, yeah, you absolutely. Nullify that action. Pull that long shot out. Absolutely. Sometimes you got to gamble. Yeah, Although I sure. do want to, I do want to say one thing. It's actually 54 cards in Malifaux. 54, 52. yes. You are, yes, 54. Yes, you're thinking yes. poker. I am. Which, yes, but the respect. jokers are there. And I, and I count my deck every game. Every I do single too. Game I, I do it. as well. Exactly. I can't, and, I, I, and I tell my opponents to count their deck too. Every time. Like you should, but like they don't have to. But I have like told a guy like, hey, man, your deck looks short. And he was like, nah, man, they're all here. I'm like, I just know that that deck looks short. And by the time we got to the end of his deck, no black joker and then he uh, looked in the box and there was like there was two severes in there the black joker and then uh, the middle of the so he didn't do it on purpose it wasn't but, just the black joker right yeah yeah so he had two severes in there so i knew it was an accident but he was like how did you i was like if you've seen a deck enough times when like four cards is missing off the top <laughs> it looks it, it looks pretty it looks different it just i knew it didn't look right i didn't know why it didn't i just you know it no that's that's a great point and i think that actually is interesting, Jeremy. So I'm going to ask you this. This is going a little bit off what we we're talking about, but on with what we're currently talking about. So when you play against a Dreamer deck, how much does that throw you off? Incredibly. Yeah. Yeah. And like I can, I try to kind of keep up with what is out of it, but at some point I'm just, I know that the deck is hotter than it should be. Yeah. So it is what it is. Like, it, like I keep trying to keep up, but I get lost in it. I honestly do. It's yeah, one of the because those people that don't know, Dreamer actually has a lot of his, uh, a lot of his minions, and a lot of his other uh, other people in his crew have the ability to actually remove cards from the Fate deck. So you can actually pick and choose what you remove. So most of the time, you're going to get medium and low, you know, cards in there. And then sometimes you can even put high cards in there because then like Stitch Together can use those to cheat. So it, it really makes kind of the control deck and your your hand kind of really different as far as the odds go. 
Right, just like the uh, what's it, Big Brain Bren? He has that ability yep. kind of to take like ten cards out or something yeah. like that. So that yeah, you know. I can't tell you how many times Pete played Big Brain <laughs> Big Brain Bren against me. I can't even say his name and yeah. did that, and I it's just uh, uh. yeah, you just put the good cards back in your deck, uh, right? Yeah, or and then and then every time you have a heads up flip, they're magically over you by just a point or two. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yes, yep. and then now you have explorers who has Tannenbaum, so you have that same mechanism where you can pull cards out. Uh, yeah, and, Tannenbaum and has the four cards. I don't, I don't know if you've looked at Tannenbaum a lot, Jeremy, but Tannenbaum can also take good cards out of their opponent's deck. Yeah, good oh, cards yeah. out of their opponents or yeah. uh, bad cards out of yours. Right, yep. and then uh, there's a crew that can. Uh... Or someone can cheat with like the top card of their oh, opponent's deck. Is Jacob, that like a? Jacob, I think that's Jacob Lynch. Yeah, yeah, and Lynch, you can uh, use your, you know, you can put any of the cards off of your like out of your hand on top of the deck yeah, too. Something yeah, like that's that. yeah. Like yeah, I played Lynch a couple times, and it feels like cheating. It honestly yeah. like it's being able to you put that hand the cards from your control hand on top of your deck yeah. is insane to me. Yeah, it's called. Uh, let's see here. What's his ability? It's not trump cards. It's oh, rig the deck. So yeah. at the start of their model of the model's activation, it may draw two cards and then place two cards from its control hand on top of its deck in any order before yeah. discarding for maximum hand size. Yeah, it's so, nuts. I mean, but he's all <laughs> about like gambling and stuff. So it's kind of like you know, cool that they're rigging the deck like that. It is, and it's fun. I like. I've played him quite a few times. Uh, like on Vassal and things like that, and I, mm. I own the crew. I think I won the crew at the the tournament down in South Carolina, the uh, Daigle crew. Oh yeah, um, the one we went to. Yep, <laughs> that's cool, man. Yep. Yeah. So, and, and that's the kind of the cool thing that I like that we and I I hope Weird keeps doing this because I actually think it's very kind of flavorful and it's very creative and it can be slightly powerful when you have crews that can manipulate what the control deck does. So I actually like that a lot when they do it. Yeah, it can be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's just, it's different and it just makes you, it, I think it even makes it feel like more like a game of poker where it's just like, hey, you want to know what? This crew can cheat a little bit, whether it's through magic or putting cards up their deck. And it just makes the game more flavorful in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. So we're looking at all this stuff and we're looking at what's happening. And now, Jeremy, I feel like there's a lot of different trains of thought here when it comes to, okay, when do you use your control hand? When are you using the cards? So you have six or seven cards and you have to do things with them. So you use your control hand to cheat. So when we're talking about cheating in Malifaux, how do you gauge when you use a card to cheat versus no, I'm gonna keep this back and not cheat? Right, so I always try to look at it as each one of the cards is probably guaranteeing an action to happen on some level, right? So like, yeah. or ideally guaranteeing an action to happen or trying to cause something to happen. So there's only going to be so many things that can happen within a turn. So you get, you have to realize which ones are the most important ones because some things you just got to let go. Sometimes you're going to flip off the top of the deck. You're going to flip a week. And if you cheat that last ram, then you're not going to be able to have that action that really is important two activations later in your turn because a lot of times your most important activations are at the end of the turn. So if you're 
cheating early for anything outside of like a master's activation a lot of times you got to be careful that you just don't burn what you need later yeah is that the thing that i'm always trying to make sure i avoid okay yeah and- typically yeah one two and three are your uh are the turns where your least important models go first yeah Chris, and then three you, you four and five similar, you have a similar thought right of how you use your control hand yeah absolutely yeah, so you want to kind of speak on like as the turn progresses, like do you plan out like your your cards like your oh I need this one for you know I don't know which crew you you want to say but I need this for Jan Low I need this one for you know this model do you actually plan it out that specific I do actually so I usually plan out two to three cards that I have to keep to use during specific models activations. And then the other three cards are just used whenever I feel the need to use them. Yeah. And I, I got to, you know, tip the cap to you guys, because I am definitely not that planning with my turn and my cards. Like I might have one model, especially if I'm playing a summoner where I'm like, okay, I need this card for that. But if I'm just playing like my kin crew or I'm playing, you know, even Pandora, I actually think especially Pandora, there's a lot of times when I'm playing Pandora or another crew like that, where I'm very whimsical with my cards, meaning like I kind of go with how I feel, like, do I really want this to happen? Or I'll look at what I flipped and say, you want to know, I really want that to go off. I'm going to cheat. And sometimes it'll lead me, you know, cardless. But I think that I'm more of a momentum guy. Like, I feel like if this action is going to put me in a better spot, I want to cheat. So I'm not necessarily planning it out for the whole turn. I have maybe one card reserved for an action, but the rest of them, I'm kind of just going off what I see my deck doing. And then I just kind of go from there. So I, I'm a little less planning than you guys. I'm a little more impulsive. And and that can be good. Being aggressive can be good. Um, I like, I like in moments where I know that I am the inferior player, I tend to be more aggressive. Okay. Take more, like take more chance. I'll swing for the fences sometimes because in the long game, if the other player is better than me, they're yeah. going to probably beat me. But you know, if I can, you know, swing for the fences and maybe kill their master here in this one spot by, you know, risking this important model of mine too, that might put me in a position where I can actually lock this thing up. I can get them in a spot where they can't come back and win. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think that something else that I tend to do is I tend to cheat more for the duel and not the damage. I think I find myself like if I get min damage, a lot of times I suck that. I'm like, that's fine. Because I feel like you want to cheat to make the action happen. And then just whatever, unless it's going to rightfully kill something. I feel like I don't cheat on damage as much. I don't know if you guys are the same. Well, it depends on the value of the swing. Yeah. Um, like if I had to focus in order to get the uh, swing off or if, you know, so I'm getting that, you know, and I got a straight flip on the damage, like, cause it's rare that you're going to get straights or positives on the damage, unless you're playing something like apex or something like that, where yeah. you can just kind of force the, you know, a lot of spots where you're going to get those even flips. Um, and if, or if you have like a huge damage spike, you know, uh, you know, two, three, six, Oh, yeah. You know, maybe you want to, you know, go for that severe there, because if I'm doing six damage here, this is better than me hitting you two times in a row with medium or weak. Yeah. So just kind of looking and knowing your damage track. 
Right. Or, you know, or if, you know, if I, because you can't, if you know, you're not going to be able to swing twice. So you maybe just need to try to spike the severe here if you can. Yeah. What about you, Chris? Do you find yourself cheating for damage more or are you just looking at efficiency kind of like Jeremy is? Usually I don't, uh, don't cheat for damage often. I find that uh, cheating for damage utilizes, it's just, it's using too much of uh, limited supply. So you're using, you know, typically if you're going to be cheating damage, then you're cheating, you know, the duel to okay. get Let me ask draw. you this though. If you're playing Seamus and you get your one shot with your gun, are you cheating to severe? Well, I mean, it depends. <laughs> Am I, does it delete something? Because if it does, it's Dude, like... <laughs> when you play Seamus, do not bring squishy models because that will disappear with one gunshot. With one gunshot, which you yes. found out uh, a couple of times, but um, yeah. it, you're still, I mean, you're still utilizing, you're still wasting so many cards when it comes to doing something on those lines because you're, yeah. you're having to cheat the duel. And then typically your opponent's going to look at it and be like, oh, I don't want him to have it straight. So there's not going to be a lot of options where you can cheat the damage unless yeah. you have specialized models that say, you know, you could cheat regardless. Yeah. Right. There's which there are a couple of resers and stuff. Yeah. Like that. They have flay or whatever it is. You can cheat even on a negative. Yeah. Flip or, yeah. Yeah. Looking at kind of as it goes kind of through it. So we're starting to get into the turn. And we're starting to monitor our decks and we're looking at it and we're either looking at the decks been really cold. So Chris and I played a game a few nights ago and I, there was two turns where not only did I, so Chris was actually killing me very well. I was playing Wastrel and you were playing, um, which crew were you playing, Chris? Uh, I was playing Riva. Riva, Yeah. And she was just deleting my models just because she could ignore some of my like manipulation and stuff. So anyways, there was two turns towards <laughs> the end of the game where I got my control hand. I'm like, this is turn three. I was like, my control hand. I didn't have a card over 10. So I was like, oh, I'm a stone for cards. I draw like a one and a two. So I'm looking at my control hand and it's just hot garbage. And for some reason, the top half of my control deck was all crap. And... Chris was killing models, so I really only had about four or five activations at that point and moving forward for the rest of the game. So I really had to decide at that point where it's like, I need to be very conservative. I need to try not to interact with him because my deck is not turning on and I can't control getting through this deck faster. So I really had to play very conservative. And I just went to scheming and I was like, I just, I need to survive out here. And I think that's a very important point that if when your deck goes cold, you need to lock the doors up and you need to try and survive that bad flip. Yeah, man. You, sometimes you just got to get through it. Like you just have to find a way just to try to delay the interactions. If you like, if you have a terrible hand, like when I see my hand immediately, I is to, probably going to dictate how aggressive I can be this turn, you yeah. know, um, I played a game uh, over the weekend where uh, when I looked at my, it was one of the best hands I have had in Malfoy in a really long time. I had both Jokers, two Severs, a 10, a 9 in suits I needed. And the, the worst two cards in my hand, I think, were like a 3 and a 5. <laughs> I stoned for cards anyway because I had plenty of them. And I ended up with like the low part of my hand being a 7. Oh, wow. Um, and it was, and 
even the beginning of the deck, it it took off from there. So I knew immediately, okay, as soon as I saw this hand, I'm going for his second master. I'm gonna make I'm immediately going after the, you know, the more expensive models that I feel like with this hand and Joss, I can get someone off of the table immediately. Yeah. Um, because like if you the a lot of times the way you can really flip a game around is killing a model before it activates. Yep. Right. It it can really just change the game so quickly if an important model dies before it has that activation. Yeah, and I think Chris has also seen the opposite because I, I would say I'm probably really good at this. When, when I get a feeling like I have a really strong control hand, so like you said, if you have like this really strong hand and you know it's going to get you some work done, I think I'm one of those players where I have no problem being aggressive. So when I feel like I got my deck where I want it to be and I got a good control hand, it's like I will start flipping damage India and I don't care how many attacks I got. I'm just going to throw it all India because it's going to end up good. Right. I mean, Chris has, Chris has seen me, especially with that kin crew, just flip <laughs> a ridiculous amount of cards. Yeah. I got yes, a, lot I have. Of love, a lot of love for the kin. Yes, I have. Not not any love for the kin. <laughs> I don't know, Jeremy. You like playing against kin. I don't know how much you play Bayou. Uh, I've uh, I've lost to kin uh, quite a few times. I don't. I haven't played with Bayou at all. There's some of them that I think look very interesting. Um, Big Hat looks fun. Um, yeah. You know the the cheating off the top of the deck all the time. Just the the luck of it. I tend to be lucky. Um, so you're like, let's just see what's on the top of the deck. Let's yeah, right, yeah. Thing. Like I feel like that could be good for me. Just like, all right, just let my luck kind of control whether things just still get to happen. <laughs> um. Yeah, and I think that, uh, and I, I'll we'll kind of go around here because I think that this is something I notice with a lot of players. But I think that depending on your play style, I think that that makes certain crews favorable to you. So for example, like I said, I like to be aggressive, especially when I can see, you know, kind of like the, you know, red kind of starts flashing in my eyes and I see all these high cards. And I also like crews that let me get through the deck more. So like exactly like the kin, like that's why I love kin. And it's just, it's fun to me because I'm just going through my deck and I'm just seeing all the high cards, you know, and you'll get some low cards with kin, but you just kind of get to flip through it. And it's the same thing with Zip. I love playing Zip because he lets me draw cards and I can kind of work my way through my deck. And I think crews like that are more consistent with kind of like how much of the deck you see. And you're, you know, since you're seeing more, you're going to get those higher cards more, cons well, maybe more consistent is not the right word, but you're going to see them more often. Right. Throughout the yeah, game. exactly. So like, if you're not getting through your entire deck, then you're not getting your 12 or 13 severe's worth, you know, like you're just yeah. not, it's just not happening. Those things like you could really just be flipping all weeks and moderates if you're not really getting through your deck. So um, that's just something to take into consideration. Like if, if you don't get through your deck, you just may miss out on the benefits of those yeah. higher end parts. Yeah. So Jeremy, which crews do you think really, fit your control hand play style? Which crews are you like, yeah, this this is my comfortable crew. I love the way I can control my hand with this crew. Well Sandeep's definitely one of them. Um, because you, <laughs> you get to you get to you get to go you through draw so with many, everybody. You're drawing, you're drawing with everybody. Exactly. So now I'm really 
getting, you know, I'm going to be able to rotate cards in and out and then start to think about those uh, differently. So I, I do like it with that crew. Um, I've, I've had fun with Lynch um, as well. Um, but sometimes I don't necessarily need for the card engine to be that strong as long as I have something to kind of make things happen when I need to. Like Hoffman, yeah. you can uh, use the power tokens to get like a, a positive flip in a lot of cases, like just flipping twice to get fast on models instead of, you know, once. So I don't really need as much, you know, going through the deck as much because most of my actions are middle of the road actions. And if I'm flipping those on positives, then I'm, those are always going to happen. So then my control hand all of a sudden becomes ways to attack models or get those things, you know, or damage flips or things yeah. like that. So it, it can kind of just change the way you have to play it. So those are the kind of crews I tend to lean to. Okay. So Chris, what about you? What do you think is a master or crew that you really like uh, that fits your control hand style? I don't know. That's tough. I like all my masters and uh, resers. Okay, but which one? Which one do you think helps you control the control deck and your control hand the best? Helps me control the control deck and my control hand the best. Yeah, which I one? would probably say my uh, my Seamus crew, only because I have uh, the Whisperer on uh, two of the models out of it because I have to have two of the models successfully utilize their actions. Oh yeah, I guess Rezzers can put that on anybody, right? Yeah, yeah, they can. So, yeah. yeah, the Whisperer is just amazing. Get to, you know, look at the top three cards of your deck, put them back in any order. Um, so uh, that is, you know, a huge, fun you know, huge increase. And then also Seamus's crew has a lot where if you're interacting with any of his crew, uh, the Red Chapel models, um, I get bonuses, you get negatives, stuff like that. Yeah, and do you find yourself, Chris, missing your Arcanist sometimes just because you, you're like, oh, I wish I had seven cards. Oh, I wish yes. I was drawing cards. I miss my Arcanists constantly whenever it comes to, especially when it comes to me doling out the six cards. I just, ah, uh, I miss my Arcanists. Yeah, no kidding. My entire shelf. I, I feel like I need to pull them off the shelf and give them some new life, but I'm just, I'm having too much fun with Rezzers. Yeah, right. So... I think that we've been talking a lot about kind of sculpting our hand and we've been talking a lot about that. So let's say that you guys get the red Joker. And I think this is something a lot of people struggle with. How the hell are you supposed to use that red Joker? When do you decide it is the time that you're going to unleash that pow red Joker on the board? So we'll start with you, Jeremy. How do you decide like, okay, this is the time. Uh, so the one thing I, the first thing I think is, are there any actions that I need to guarantee with a suit and do I have it? Because sometimes the red joker, I don't need it to be a 14. I just need it to be a mask or a ram or whatever. Like, so sometimes I'm just looking at it like that. Um, I want to make sure that I use it every hand that I have it in my hand, unless it's possibly the first turn. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to be holding on to it too long. I think players do that a lot. Yeah, I um, agree they, that. They, they leave it in their hand waiting for the perfect moment, and then the perfect moment never comes. And then that, and now you just are missing the most powerful card in your deck. You're, you're, you know, tying your arm behind your back. Yeah. So those are the first things that I'm considering is, you know, 
what do I need to guarantee to happen? Is there one action that must happen? Or, you know, with like a summoner like Sandeep, I can get uh, a higher level model um, as, you know, two higher level models as an option with the the red joke. I think that you can get the like a wind gammon and a metal gammon with yeah. the red. You know, so pretty good. Right, exactly. So, you know, if if that is, you know, maybe that's what the move uh, may need to be. Um, but just trying to kind of figure out what is that one thing that I need to make sure happens no matter what, or even possibly defensively. Maybe this is just going to be, I'm going to not let, uh, whenever my opponent cheats what I feel like may be the best card in their hand, uh, I might use my red joker to make it fail just because I know that it, it might break them. Yeah, especially like an obey or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, like if you, like if I have the the rider, um, you know, with like a willpower seven, you try to obey it, and then I, you know, you cheat your like thirteen, 13. mass, <laughs> and then I, I cheat my red joker, and it fails. Yeah, it just, right. Yeah, you, you can break their spirit, and they may just lose the game because they're not going to be able to focus anymore. You, you heard it here. You heard it here. Jeremy likes to break spirits while he's playing Malfa. Yeah, I mean, like, you, but you know what? Like, you, it's not necessarily the goal, but that's what happens. <laughs> that you see, players will crumble based on you know when things don't go right for them. You know. Yeah, for sure. What about you, Chris? When are you slamming the red Joker down? Well, it's actually funny. Um, it, it is a wind gammon and a metal gammon, um, Jeremy. I'd looked it up because uh, Sandeep was one of my favorite you know, arcanists. So just scroll back real quick. And I, I looked that up for you. You were absolutely right. Um, boss. Yeah. You're the man. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so it, the last game that we played actually on our battle report, I drew the red Joker twice and I just threw it out just whenever, just cause you know, it was just a fun game. You know, we're playing, talking about what we're doing and I'm like, Hey, you know what? This, this action will, positively influence my side of the board, my, my side of the board state. So I just, I just threw it out there for yeah, know, just piddly actions. But usually I find myself holding on to it um, for that. Yeah, exactly what Jeremy said, that one action that needs to happen um, for the specific suit or specific number. Uh, usually in Rezzer's cases, it's specific number because a lot of their stuff has auto suits included in it. Yeah, I find myself, I'm a little different. I tend to use, I use the Red Joker, especially if I know I'm in the right crew where I might see it again that turn. I use it actually pretty early because I'm a big, big uh, proponent of you need to use it because you might see it again. So there's a lot of different ways to get through your deck. So I would rather use it and then maybe see it again later. So I tend to use it more for damage, I find, like especially those big sexy, just like, oh man, I can do like seven damage with this. So I, I tend to use it more for damage. I don't play a lot of summoners. So if I was though, I would definitely save it for like summoning a huge model or just by you just getting a bunch of gremlins and, you know, getting like four summons, you know, something crazy like that. So I, I think that there's multiple uses, but I definitely agree with you, Jeremy, where you don't want to sit on it. Absolutely. You, like you got to keep that thing in your deck moving around. Just at, People should, pe with the way people are restrictive over the Black Joker and are willing to hold on to it, they should be just as aggressive about making sure that they're getting the red back in their deck. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 
just like and i feel the same way honestly about like those middle of the road cards that are in your hand a lot of times that may kind of get stuck in your hand between uh if you're not if you don't use them like the eights and sevens and sixes that sometimes i'll just cheat them in just to get them out of my hand so that the next hand i'm drawing new cards like you just need because those cards are going to get you know you're in nowhere, no man's land. Like you're just kind of stuck in between. Like they're never going to be great cards. They're just going to be barely actions taking place. Sometimes you may need to just cheat an action that you've already succeeded on at the end of a turn, yeah. just to get those cards out of your hand, just so you can you can draw fresh cards into your hand. Yeah, or cheat. You know, an eight in that way forces your opponent to cheat something higher if they want. You know, if they want to win. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, get those cards back in out of your hand. Like it isn't necessarily about them getting into your deck. It's about between hands getting fresh cards that might be elevens or twelves or the red joker or the black joker or whatever the case may be. So and it's interesting you guys bring that up because the next thing I was gonna bring up to you guys is there's a lot of stuff that lets you control your hand and there's a lot of stuff that can really make it where you can control what's happening on the board. So I think another thing I like doing is since I like being aggressive with my hand, I also like bringing pieces that put pressure on your hand. And you can do this a couple of ways. You can either do it with models that are putting out aggressive attacks towards you. And then that way you have to get defensive and protect yourself from this extreme damage coming your way. Or I like bringing models like Candy, and Chris can attest, and I think anybody that played Candy, plays against Candy, can attest that when you have Candy sitting there and you have stunned, even if, you, even if you don't have stunned, she, you have to discard a card and gain stunned just by starting four inches next to this creepy little girl. So I think me as a player, I also make sure that I bring at least one thing in my crew that is going to put pressure on my opponent's hand, whether it's actual pressure of you have to discard cards or you have to use cards so a bad thing doesn't happen to you. That's a very good strategy of like pressure, like because you're pressuring them on both ends. You're pressuring them with the your aggression as well as taking away their chances to avoid those things. Yeah, or I even like execute, execute triggers too. There's tons of people that love execute triggers and that can cause you to get rid of your whole hand. At or even playing, uh, what's her name? Uh, y Yoku, Yoko, whatever her name is. Right, right. Yeah, so then, and then you're short a card. Stuff. Right, yeah, you start with one less card. So <laughs> <laughs> that's brutal. Yeah, and Chris, I mean, you're silent there, so I know you're just thinking about how dumb Candy is. I am... Yes. <laughs> I hate candy. Candy is the worst. It is. It, she is. She's definitely terrible. So, and, and a henchman and manipulative yeah. and so many things that make yep. moving her such a pain. Yeah. Um, and is. it's funny because, and I'm almost done editing it, so it is going to come out here soon. Uh, Chris and I did do our first Malifaux battle report. And spoiler alert, if you like candy, you're going to see some awesome things. If you hate candy... She does some mean things in that battle report. <laughs> she she's the she was the MVP of oh, the she entire was, game. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. So yeah, I think that's an important thing that people need to start thinking about when they're playing Malifaux is okay, not only I want to use my cards, but you have to think about ways to get your opponent to use their cards. So there's multiple times that Chris and I have played, and 
I see him cheat a high card for a summon or I see him cheat a high card to maybe win a duel against me. And, you know, it's it may suck because obviously he's getting value out of it. But then you have to think, OK, that's a 12 out of his hand. So, you know, if he used a 12 there, maybe he didn't use a 13 because he doesn't have a 13. So, uh, Jeremy, how important is that for you to keep track of your opponent's hand? Very. I'm always keep, I, it may be more important for me to keep track of their hand in that sense than it is to keep up with my own outside of the things that I need to guarantee to happen. Yeah. Um, because if I, as long as I know kind of where they're going to be in the, uh, when I have to, you know, in opposed duels, um, because most of the time, the unopposed duels, you probably like, you may just have a target number. You just may need to get a five or, but in the opposed duels is where knowing if they have any severes left is going to be huge, you know, like just getting your, if you can just get your trigger off with a slightly lower card, because you just know that if they had a severe, they would have cheated it earlier when that really important thing would have happened. So they can't have one. So, you know, this thing is going to be able to happen. Maybe, you know, you're going to be able to get your crit strike trigger here. So when you flip that uh, red joker for damage, you're really going to, you're just going to be able to delete this model. Uh, things like that are usually what, or why the opponent's hand is so important to me because. Yeah. Yeah, and I actually find it surprising, and I, I get it for friendly games because, you know, friendly games, it is what it is. But even in, like, a tournament, I find that a lot of people love to complain about how bad their hand is. And they're just like, oh, man, this is so terrible. I, I don't even have anything higher than an eight. And it's like, well, thanks for that information. Well, thank you for that. I <laughs> yeah. really appreciate I, it. it like, and sometimes I... I, I it drives me crazy in a sense because I'm like, I didn't want to know that yet because I feel guilty about how much I'm going to abuse Take that advantage of it. Yeah, like, I, like if I know it and I know that they're not bluffing with that. Yeah, it's... next time I play against Jeremy, I'm going to go, we're going to go up there for a tournament. I'm going to get a, a handful of 10 ups. I'm going to be like, ah, oh, man. Yeah, so terrible. Don't have anything except for, and then you he'll know, never trust you again. <laughs> Jeremy's yeah. going to be like, ha I, I tell myself that it's, it isn't true at first. I wait until I see evidence of it because I, I always expect people to be bluffing like that. Sure. Cause even that's, though, even, cause that's the way I'm used to people being with cards. It is like, I kind of expect them to try to throw me off that way. But a lot of times in Malifaux, they're just being honest. They're just, they're not thinking about it like that. They're just giving I, a genuine Yeah, reaction that's to the that. Malifaux community right there. Yeah. Is, is you're playing this game that I really like. It's a fun game. It's, you know, it's complex. It's easy. It all at the same time, but they're there. It's a community. It's, you know, it's a family almost. Well, and yeah. I, I, even I, I try not to do that. And Chris, that last game we played, I just, yeah, got you were just frustrated. like, well, well, cause even when I drew the crappy cards, I was just like, okay, my deck's got to turn on eventually. And then it didn't. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And then I drew the same crappy cards again. And that's when I was just like, all right, whatever. This is just crap. I'm just, this game, we're calling it. We're talking know. it out. <laughs> I'm, I'm not flipping any more stupid cards. <laughs> but it's funny because uh, uh, tell everyone the ending of that game. So that game was actually funny because I think I only had like three models left on the table. And even though I only had three models and I might have only had two at the end of the game. If we I'm pretty sure it out. two. No, it was three. But if, if we had played it out, it would have been probably been two or one. Yeah. So but the point is the game probably 
we talked it out and it probably ended in a tie. Chris might have got it by one point. And that was just because I set up the schemes enough and I was able to get the lodestone where I needed it enough times where I still got six points out of it, but I was almost dead on the board with no no effective actions and no way to really interact with your models effectively. Exactly. But I still had a chance to win. Still had a chance to win. So you can't give up even when your hand is crappy as all get out. I do find a lot of times uh, Malifaux games do end in ties or very close. Yeah. Except for our battle report game. Yeah, that's sure right. Well, it don't go zero don't with that spoil, one. Don't spoil that one. We're going to have to edit that out. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so, sometimes I look at like a really bad hand as a challenge. Like yeah, how go. long yeah. can I how long can I keep it a secret that my hand is this bad? Like how long <laughs> is it going to be before cuz till they know. Sometimes, right. Sometimes they don't figure it out until like the end of the turn. They're like, "All right, you know, are you throwing any cards out?" Like, "Yeah, I got Three ones, a deuce, and a four here. Like, <laughs> and then the next hand, my you know, the next turn, my hand might be pretty hot because I'm at least burning off four or five weak cards from the previous turn. So, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, if you can keep it to yourself long enough, it can really uh, swing a game uh, later on. Yeah, absolutely. That's where you have to to put on your bluffing face, <laughs> show no emotions. I mean, it is it is poker though. Like, I mean, there's times where I know I've been playing against people and especially you, Chris, where, you know, I think you're towards the end of your control hand. I'm like, okay, I can get this attack out. And then next thing I know you slap a 13 on the table. And I'm like, that's well, right. you know, fuck me. Right. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. I'd love saving that 13 for, you know, that one final action that you're like, this is going to be great. And just throw it right back in your face. Yep. Yeah. A, a lot of players, as soon as they look at their control hand, if they get really quiet, they got the heat over there, man. Like if, if it's a tournament <laughs> and they get real quiet when they look at their hand and they stop talking and they were chatty before, just know that they saw I'm something coming. that they really like. Usually, yep, yep. Usually, and if they keep talking the whole time, they usually don't have anything, or they are they're just trying to play off the fact that they have nothing. Yeah. Now, Jeremy, you actually gave me, I think, a really good tip, and I I think this is good for other people to think about. Uh, and you were talking about when you get your control hand, a lot of people like to stack it from weak to severe, right? From left yeah. to right, usually. Yeah. And the, and you're, you can just give away what you have in your hand just by doing that. Yeah. Like just break it up, like either by suit or some other fashion. Like there's no reason. Well, because so, if you pull from your right side and it's like a 10, I'm like, oh, if you're doing that, 10 is your highest card you got now. Exactly. And if, you, if you're doing that every time, it's like, okay, I know the range I'm dealing with now. So yeah, that's why I I'm, shuffle my cards while I'm holding them. <laughs> yeah, that, way, that way, the person who's opposite of me sees me shuffling it. And they're like, okay, he is not keeping track of where those cards are. Yeah, man. And I, and I know that like, you know, a lot, sometimes people really like it to be organized in some other fashion, go with suits and then uh, the sizes or something else, but don't yeah. have them from small to big. Yeah, it's particularly good. in a target situation. Yeah, I mean, if you're playing, if you're playing, just you know, if, if you're your players, it doesn't matter. But yeah, yeah, but good tip for those of you that are playing, and you know, even if you're not playing competitive, though, you know, I like Chris and I play a lot, and we're not competitive really against each other because we're more learning and trying to figure out what certain crews do. But even then there's times where it's like we still try to win because you know i mean i don't i don't care how fun you are 
it's better when you win. I mean, let's let's Always not better when you win. Yeah, absolutely. Like no one signs up to lose all the time. Like you're that isn't your goal isn't losing. Your goal is always to win or, or and to have a good time, but yeah. you know, but you want to go when you have a really good time. time yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody signed up for this to get their ass kicked every game. Right. <laughs> It's like uh, you know. It's like you know. Cake is good, but cake with ice cream is even better. better. <laughs> there used to be a podcast that I listened to for Guild Ball, and granted, the guy liked. He was a rules lawyer. He liked to be winning all, like all the time. And his goal was: there's only so much fun in a game, and he wanted to take all the fun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like why? Why share that fun? That's awesome. <laughs> You got to give a little bit up because otherwise nobody will play you again. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> that, don't be a negative play experience That's like right. for other people. It, it, if you're winning, you should be a good sport. And it, when you're losing, you should be a good sport if you can. I always like I know that if I'm losing, the other person is having a good time. And if I'm going to be a sourpuss about it, I might ruin their good time. And they deserve to get to have a good time when they're winning, too. Well, so. here's the thing, Jeremy. You know, this isn't the, this isn't the fun time wire show. That's fair. You, I get it, man. I'm just saying. There's times where, especially, man, when you were playing those Arcanists, especially, I'm just like, this is fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. and, don't, and don't get me wrong. I love it. Uh, one of our buddies who plays with us, he'll sometimes, you know, rage out in our games. And I've made him throw his deck across the room a couple times. There you go. And it does feel good. It does feel good to just see them all flying everywhere, knowing that he's still going to have to pick them up. Oh, yeah. Like, it's still, it's still, but well, it's awesome. But I, love I, I also expect people. So, if you know, if I am a little heated or if, Chris, you get a little frustrated, like, I'm sorry, I'm going to laugh. Like, when Chris starts getting frustrated, like, this is stupid. I laugh because it's like, dude, this is just funny. It's funny. Yeah, it I is. And then Chris laughs at me when I'm throwing a hissy fit. <laughs> yeah, you throwed a couple too. Uh, there's just some times where, you know, you guys, everybody that's listening to this podcast knows it because you listen because you get those feelings where it's like your control deck sucks, your control hand sucks, your opponent's kicking your ass, and you just want to punch somebody. You just want to punch babies. Right, and right, and, <laughs> and they're playing some crew where all of their rules seem like they're cheating. It's oh, yeah. Like it just, like it, it can't do that that way. It can't. This can't be fair. How is this fair? It's yeah, not. I, I've been there. It's not it's fair. Not. That's the thing. Yeah. It's right. not fair. My favorite, though, and I'm just going to go back to this because I love it. My favorite is when I play Kin and it's firing off and it's just hot. And Chris is just like, I hate this fucking crew. <laughs> yeah, I do. I hate. I hate Ken. Even when I'm winning against Ken, I hate Ken. Yeah. Yes. Even when you're winning against Ken, you're still getting shot up. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and things are just stacking, shielded. Yep. Yeah, that's the, I'd say that's the part I think you hate the most, Chris, is just the fact that there's so much shielding, and then they're, you know, getting pluses, and, you know, they're doing damage, and they take out of activation shots, and, you know, they get to take, like, ten shots. <laughs> yeah, I think there's only one game that I played into Ken that I just I found incredibly funny and easy and i just walked all over you and that i think it was when i was playing karis against you 
when I was playing Arcanists and you were just, you were getting very frustrated because you were like, there's, there's nothing fire everywhere. I can do. <laughs> oh man, Karis is awesome. Karis so is good. awesome. I love Karis. That's, and that's the master that, that Pete's talking about whenever it comes to when you were playing Arcanists. Like, why are there playing against Karis? Why am I playing against Karis again? <laughs> yeah, man. That, no. That's one of my favorites too. So, uh, so I think we would be kind of, you know, missing out on something. We're talking about, you know, control decks. We're talking about your control hand and we've done a great job going through it. But uh, Jeremy, I actually wanted to get your thoughts on this uh, crew. So the explorers are the new hotness that came out. And one of the crews that can actually manipulate their hand and not even their hand, just what the cards do is the EVS crew. So I was just wondering if you had any thoughts about what the EVS crew does. Absolutely. And one of the EVS models is a performer. So yeah, um, yeah I've actually proxied that one. And uh, yeah, he's pretty good. Uh, and he makes uh, the best master in Arcanist probably a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, or arguably the best in Colette. She's because of the way that she can just move things yeah. across the board and wherever she needs them. So what so, do you um, think about the reconfigurability? And and those don't know that don't know, it reconfigure and it's usually for a suit, but for Maxine, I think she can choose any suit. And basically the model may treat any crow card. For example, I'm looking at Harada, and he says you can treat any crow card that it cheats fate with as having a nine value. Yeah. So that changes the deck quite a bit. Absolutely. And then uh the one of the models lets you uh dig uh, low cards out of your discard pile. So you can kind of grab one of those reconfigure cards back out of your discard pile mm -hmm. with, uh, I think it's Dr. BB. Yeah. I think um, right. that, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's great. And I've, it's one of the crews that I'm interested to play, not only because of that, because, but overall it just looks interesting. Um, yeah, this cool mechanical kind yeah, of and, and the deep discovery ability where you uh, that's the one where you cheat with the top card of your uh, opponent's yeah. deck by discarding a card. So it's just it's all over the place with the card manipulation with that crew. Yeah, that that's one of the crews where the first time you play it, you're just like, OK, what are you doing? <laughs> all right. Like, what do you mean you're using the 13 against me that I just used against you? Like, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a weird like Euripides kind of mechanic, but your opponent's deck, it's just kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. So definitely a fun crew. I'm kind of I mean, it manipulates the deck, but I'm actually kind of curious how the crew wins. Uh it seems they like they do a little bit of damage, a little bit of scheming. It's kind of an interesting crew. Right. And, and the master gives out like conditions, right? Maxine yeah. can, you know, give out fast or you know, double focus and stuff like that. So it, it's got some, it, it looks like it's probably going to take a while to unpack, but oh yeah, for sure. But, but it's got some potential and, uh, and it looks like, you know, something I'll probably at some point have to give a chance. Is that the Explorer crew that you're most excited to try out? Or are you excited about another master? They all kind of look good. I mean, I did play, uh, with the apex crew in the stream and that, crew is a lot of fun yeah uh, they are they're right, fun. Right. yeah they're just fun uh you know who doesn't like a, a model can just shoot the other team's models off the board and forget that man. i love to shoot you know hunt my own models 
Oh yeah, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah. The, the runaways, and then just like, all right, I just want a whole new hand. Yeah. So I'm just going to run this thing off of the edge of the board. Um, yeah, <laughs> he made so, it. He got, he got away. He made it. Exactly. He made it. Um, so it. So that one. Uh, I, I'm not as much into the the Cadmus crew. Like all of my friends seem to be into like the the, the buggy crews and stuff like that. So yeah, it reminds um, me too much of like Tyranids and kind of weird bugs. I'm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the DUA crew, though, is yeah. That's know, what Chris playing. It, it just looks so strong. Like, like strong. when I look at it, it looks strong. It is strong. It, right. <laughs> when, I, when I was looking at the cards, I'm like, man, this this has to be really good. This like, is good. <laughs> like, it, like, it, there's no chance that this isn't really good, right? So, um, you know, that one looks fun. Jedza kind of looks like Sandeep, except it's uh, healing instead yeah. of focus. So that's interesting. So those are the ones that. I would say uh, that have my interest the most about, you know, possibly picking up some models and having someone else paint them because I'm so terrible at it. And <laughs> I, just, yeah, I know a couple of people who are pretty good at painting. Hey, just, you know, prime them and just dunk them in, you know, whatever type of uh, null oil. Yeah, there you go. Null oil. Just like that, <laughs> that meme where it's like, paint me like your models. And it's this girl just covered in black oil. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I paint my models. That's right. Nothing wrong with that, man. That, hey, that, that, hey, hey, painted. It is what it is. Yeah, it's painted right. models on the board. You know, I right. got at least three different colors on there. Exactly. And that's better than I can do. You know what I mean? I'm the worst painter. I've never even tried it. I just, uh, I mean, I've only been playing the game for, you know, I guess it's been about a year and a half now. Oh, since third edition started. So yeah. those. Th this is my first... Uh, uh, you know, minis game. I have learned to, I can struggle through piecing them together. Uh, I can do that part, <laughs> but uh, the painting part, it just looks like such a daunting task with it can be. Yeah. Right. And I'm like all of the primers and then the colors and then all of the things I'm like, okay, <laughs> where is a person who can do all of this thinking for me? Too many decisions. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with that. So yeah, this Looking at Malifaux and looking at stuff, there's a lot of exciting things we got going on with the podcast. One of the things is definitely we've gotten a real influx of patrons, which has been awesome uh, because that's allowed us to do a lot of different things. One is we're upgraded our audio recording online to Squadcast. So that's been cool. Uh, also, we're starting to do some battle reports and got some editing software for that. And then we're also making a couple of other big changes. So I kind of made this announcement to my friends and family, but I'm going to do it here too, where I'm actually going to pull the podcast and stuff off of Twitter and Facebook. And it's partly for personal reasons, but also I just want to be on platforms where I'm going to focus mostly on minis and not all that political nonsense that's going on right now. Uh, don't care which side you're on. It's all political nonsense. So I'm just kind of spacing the podcast from that. So the cool news is we're actually going to do a website that's just for Rage Quit Wire. So it's going to be a Rage Quit Wire website. I'll put a little audio on the end of this for the URL and that information. But also, if you become a patron, we're also setting up a Rage Quit Wire Discord. So that's going to be a Discord where I'm even going to put Chris Yoon on there. So I'm going to force him to get into it. And you're, it's just going to be talking about nerd stuff. So it's going to have Malifaux on there, X-Wing, even stuff like magic and D and D is going to be talked on there. So I encourage people, if you like that kind of chatter, 
I mean, I like to talk about anything nerdy. So, I mean, by all means, if you just want to come on there and just chat about something cool, you, some cool meme that you saw, just dollar to the patron. You'll be also signed up for the Discord and all this early content that we record. You'll get it first. So uh, just a way that we thank our patrons, just kind of the direction we're moving with the podcast. Uh, because, like I said, I just want to focus on the podcast and not worry about all this extra nonsense happening right now. So. Uh, that's that's something that you can expect to be finalized probably by this Saturdays when I'm hopefully going to have it all kind of converted the way I want it. So really exciting stuff happening for the podcast. So Jeremy, you're you're the first one that gets to hear the whole spiel of what we have coming up here soon for the podcast. Awesome, yeah, I get a sneak peek into uh, what everybody will hopefully be hearing soon uh, when they hear the episode. Yeah, and also I feel like the website will be cool because I can put more stuff on there. And it'll be actual content that I feel like people will go watch. I just, I don't know, for some reason, Facebook just seems clunky to post stuff on. And I, I'm just kind of over it as well. So I'm really excited. I'm a big website design guy. That's actually what I do partly for my job now. So I'm actually really excited to just customize that and get people content. So be on the lookout. It's coming. Yeah, Looking anything that gets me it. off of Facebook, especially whenever I'm uh, with my daughter, it's a good thing. So yeah, yeah, and that's something else. I just think that you know, just disconnecting from stuff like Facebook and Twitter because you can constantly just stay on it and talk and engage, and and next thing you know, you're in this rabbit hole, and you know, just I think it'll hopefully refocus the nerding community to just nerding stuff just don't worry about all this political nonsense don't worry about all the problems of the world we're here to get away from that shit. <laughs> right yeah and like it's, it's okay to look at those things sometimes but it can't be that 24 exactly. 7. absolutely you're right sometimes you just need a break from it to separate yourself and just focus on the things that you know you enjoy and you know you can have a good time with all right. Well, Jeremy, is there anything you want to plug or anything you want to shout out to before we wrap this thing up? No, man. I really appreciate you guys having me on. I, you know, I Malifaux is a great game. Everybody who you know I've met in this game has been pretty cool so far. So you know, I am appreciative of that. So yeah, man. I really appreciate the time, and you guys have me on tonight. Yeah. And Jeremy, are you still playing a lot like on Vassal or is your store opening up? Like what you doing for Malifaux? Uh, we've actually uh, uh, have a couple friends who, you know, we've met and, you know, played a couple games live, you okay. know, so that has been cool uh, to finally actually push models around on the yeah. table again a bit uh, for a, a bit of a, a sense of normalcy in that sense. So that's been fun. Um, but yeah, man, still, playing a couple games on Vassal as well because, you know, especially if I'm proxying like a whole crew, oh, it yeah. just makes it easier. Yeah, and I feel like the competition you can get on Vassal is really good too. There's a lot of great Vassal players always looking for a game. Absolutely, yeah. I've taken a lot of losses on there, so. Uh... <laughs> but you learn a lot, right? You learn a lot. Every time it seems like, like, oh, man, that can be good. I had no idea since it just beat me so badly. Yeah, definitely. So, Chris, what about you? Anything you want to you want to plug before we uh, sign off on this thing? No, nah, I don't have anything I want to plug. Okay, I mean, you're kind of on the podcast now for all the Malifaux stuff. So, really, whatever I say, you're just ditto. Yeah, ditto, ditto. <laughs> uh, yeah, play more Malifaux. Uh, I encourage everyone. Uh, Jeremy's absolutely right. It's a great game, great community. 
Um, most of the time we treat each other like family, uh, more than friends. So yeah, you know, play Malifaux. De- definitely agree with that, man. Uh, I know I just had my birthday and Chris hooked me up with the dreamer box that has like the hulked out, like Lord Chompy bits. And I'm like, oh, yeah, man, it's going to look awesome. Cool. You need to that up, put it on the board. Yeah, for sure. And uh, it's got the, uh, the newsy looking, uh, dreamer. Yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about that dreamer. It's, uh, it's different. I kind of I mean, like the little, the kid. little kid carrying the, what is it? He's, pillow got little, or? he's got a little pillow and a little monster, man. He's cute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, Rage Nation. We got some exciting news for you. We're going to go ahead and start up a brand new website called ragequitwire.com. On this website, you are going to be able to check out all news regarding the podcast, brand new episodes, battle reports, unboxings, and everything else that we provide. It's going to be also a place where you can just go and nerd out. So join us at ragequitwire.com. We're also, for those of you that are patrons, we're growing our Patreon page created a new discord server just for those patrons so if you want to go ahead and chat it up with us on our discord become a patron for as little as a dollar or whatever you want to pay so once again check us out on patreon.com slash and visit our website at ragequitwire.com all right well i think with that being said we've been talking about the control deck so make sure that you guys are flipping cards and flipping tables and we will see you all next time <laughs>